Okay, so here's the question, Dave. What is the art of Python? What is the art of Python? Let me tell you about the art of Python. An artist of Python speaks. Yes. Are you a programmer, William? I indeed am say? a programmer. I program things. Would you say that you are a dramatic artiste? Oh, the most dramatic artiste. Yes, I know. You can't hide it. Yeah, I'm, I'm base salting <laughs> right now. <laughs> Those warm-ups. <laughs> I mean, we do a lot of artist warm-ups for, for this very podcast, indeed. Yeah, it's true. Well, I guess you you guys don't know the warm ups, but maybe we could uh, we could help you with some warm ups if you want to do a submission for the Art of Python, which is going to be a little mini conference inside of the much larger PyCon US conference, which is a fantastic conference. It is probably the greatest conference I've been to, second to PyCon Italia twenty eighteen, of course. Uh, Python Italia was just this is a cozy, nice time, like good people. But PyCon US uh, has a little bit of something for everybody. You know, PyCon US has, of course, the talks, the big name talks, has the tutorials, all the good big name tutorials and little name tutorials, big people and little people together. It also has like tracks for open spaces, which is something that we really love. So then how does the art of Python tie into the rest of the conference? Is it like a workshop that you can go to on one of the tracks? Programming is something that people are very passionate about. And one of the ways people express their passion is through art and music and plays. And I think one of the, one of the things that uh, is great about programming is you know, sharing your, your wonder and joy of the thing. And so the purpose of this is for people to kind of get excited about programming and be creative outside of the normal outlets of, you know, talks and tutorials and whatnot. So there's a call for proposals for all of your creative outlets. So if you want to like put together a skit or a video or a like a watercolor or something relating to Python. This is what you do? <laughs> exactly. I, I love the idea of a watercolor or like a, <laughs> a, a neural net generated ode to Python. Just put William Shakespeare and like the docs for Python together and see what happens. I don't know. Do something crazy. But yeah, Call for Proposals is open and ending 20th of February. And they're, they're also doing uh, proposals, I think, for Bang Bang Con in New York which is a little bit closer to home, also for cool, exciting talks and uh, creative stuff. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. Excellent. Looking forward to it. Let's see those submissions. Yeah. And, oh my God, is that Zach? Get out of here, Zach. Zach, Stop. Zach, what are you doing? <laughs> is that some kind of a flashcard, Zach? What are you trying to communicate to us? Oh, it's, oh, it's an event? Oh, it's a meetup? Oh, wow. Another New York City tech debates. I'm so hyped. I cannot wait. These yeah. things are great. Yeah, these are pretty great. So this uh, next one is on making sure you're building the right thing. And they're going to have folks from Code Academy and Blackboard, both pretty awesome companies. As usual, it's going to start around 6.30. going to have some pizza and beverages. Light refreshments. Light refreshments. And then we'll have a debate. There will be one winner. <laughs> and two yeah, speakers enter one speaker leaves 
classic roles. Yeah, and it's going to be in a new venue this time. It's going to be at Microsoft offices, so that should be exciting. Oh, yeah, they have a wonderful space. It's very nice, yeah. So, yeah, I highly recommend it. Check it out. We'll see you guys there. Hello, and welcome to The Rabbit Hole from the Boogie Down Bronx. I'm your host, Michael Nunez. Our co-host today, Dave Anderson. And our producer, William Jeffries. And today, we have a question. Do you even linter, bro? I see these semicolons all over the place, Mike. I really question if you're linting your code. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. So, we have a conversation about linter. Even before we started, the question that was asked around was, JavaScript, do you use semicolons or not? Me personally, I'm a huge semicolon user. Someone, someone is it. No, I'll fight you. (laughs) I'm going to weigh in here. I'm just going to decide here and I'm going with Dave. No semi. Okay. You're going with no semicolons. No semi. No semicolons. No, come on. What, what do you mean no semis? Why even need it? It's not that you, there's no reason. Look, it's totally extraneous. There is no, it just looks nice. I like it. I'll be honest with you. I can easily be swayed, but I'm going to be. Semicolon is an ugly punctuation mark. It's like a, it's, it's like a vintage. It's got a little dangly bit. Like. <laughs> Vulgar. Do you really want a little dangly bit at the end of every line? Gross. So I don't use semicolons as much as much like when I text. So when I use it in JavaScript, I think I make up for all my semicolon uses in life. It's <laughs> the only reason. The only reason why I use semicolon, guys. That's fair. Yeah, you know, if you're not writing Java or JavaScript with the linter role of using semicolons, then you're not using semicolons that often. I will tell you this: if you're responsible for introducing the linter to the code base that I'm working on and you happen to quote forget to add that rule and there are no semicolons in the code base, I'll be okay with that. I think <laughs> tabs versus spaces, I think we'll have to fight. Here's, oh yeah. Here's Rolling. the thing. I'm pretty sure that there was a reason for a long time why semicolons were required in JavaScript. It was dangerous because there was an evil feature of JavaScript where it would try to concatenate a subsequent line if there was no semicolon. Yeah, that's, there that's true. Actually, there, there are bugs. There are bugs that can be introduced if you don't use a semicolon in JavaScript. But I thought they fixed that. That's still broken? Well, no. You can just avoid it if you use a linter. So, like, maybe we shouldn't get into it. <laughs> <laughs> so, we avoid it altogether by using a linter. Uh, why don't we talk about, like, you know, what, what even a linter is in case someone out there hasn't used a linter what that, even the, a linter that, is that Dave. monster what even a linter is so a linter is something that's going to automatically check your code and tell you what you've done wrong so like a lot of it's like more grammatical than syntax or like correctness of your program it's just going to check to see if your tapping is right if you have your commas in the right places if your semicolons are all kosher and it, it can fix some kind of errors through like ASD-based formatting, like abs- abstract syntax tree. So, you know, if, if you set a rule for getting rid of semicolons, it can get rid of the semicolons for you, hopefully. And it can tell you if there's potentially a bug in the code in some cases, especially for like a dynamic language, like JavaScript or Python or Ruby. I mean, one of the benefits I do like about linting is that the code is unified and all looks the same. So like the piece of code that I write when the linter runs will look exactly the same when William runs the linter or when Dave runs the linter. And we all agree to have certain rules in place so that we can all read the code the same way. Yeah, reduces friction. Like you're not surprised opening a file that this file 
has tabs and the other file has spaces or Ooh. you know sometimes. no tabs <laughs> no tabs <laughs> or indentation tabs. indentation levels like you know using two spaces indentation in one versus four in another or even more subtle rules about like how you're or which operators you're using or how you're using them like you know in javascript like a spread operator or you know more esoteric rules so where did linting come from? Like we try to look up some history and try to figure that out. I mean, I just known that JavaScript has this thing that's going to format my code for me and all is great. But where did, who thought of this? <laughs> so it was actually a computer scientist from Bell Labs who came up with it in 1978. Apparently he was writing a program that was hilariously called Yak for <laughs> yet another what? compiler compiler. I don't know what a compiler compiler is, but apparently there were a lot of them in 1978. Like we have markup languages now. Yeah. So he wrote a program that was designed to remove the lint from it, which lint being like the bits of fiber and fluff in sheep's wool. So it's kind of funny. Yak, linting. (laughs) (laughs) This guy. I wonder if he had anything for like shaving the yak as well. Ooh. (laughs) That's a good one. Yeah. This is kind of a yak shave right now. Why are we on the Wikipedia page for this? I mean, we needed to know where it came from. It's Who got, I mean, thought of the, the idea right of the facts. linting and how, I mean, this person may not have seen it right now, but it's so useful and so prominent in the work that we do. I mean, have you guys worked at a code base recently that didn't have any form of linter? Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of times code bases start out without linters and it's not until, you know, a couple of people join that project and you start having differences of opinion on style and it becomes a point of conflict. Right. Like when you start like having comments on PRs about how things are formatted or although like starting the project off with a linter is not a bad idea if you have a good sane default to run off of. Yeah. Ideally you want like a seed repo with a bunch of sane defaults that you can pull from. But if you're, you know, on a new project and these things haven't been done yet and you're playing fast and dirty and trying to get off the ground quickly and linter is not your top priority. I mean, that seems like not a crazy trade-off to make. That's a thing you can do later. Yeah. It is something that takes a little bit of discussion because it's it's something that really is most powerful if everybody is going to be using it. Like if you set up a linter for the project and you're the only one who's running it, then that's not going to really help the overall code quality it's true you need buy-in yeah like the the whole at least the whole team that you're working on should be uh bought in on and generally agreeing upon the the rules right so jumping into the agreeing of the rules how have you seen or rather how have you two have seen a code base that doesn't have any linters and then get introduced into having a linter do like what are some of the ways you may have seen that introduction punching yeah. Yes. <laughs> There's always a fight. There's always a fight to the death. We got you know. the Billy Jean music background playing with some duct tape and knives, and it's going down. Always. <laughs> There's always at least once. Yeah. I mean, so I think sometimes it starts because somebody gets pissed off about semicolons. Sometimes it starts because there's just one good Samaritan who's like, I'm going to fall on. You know, sometimes there's just one really noble team member who's willing to jump on that grenade and introduce linter and deal with all of the horrible linting problems that always show up right. when you first introduce that into a project. And, and convince then, everyone that it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then they make one PR that's like 10,000 files changed 
Uh, oh man, that hurts. Conflict out for a while. Yeah, reviewing that PR hurts so much too. Yeah, it's tough. Like, I mean, that's, that's an interesting point too. Like, w- when you decide to add a linter later, you have some tech debt that you've kind of accrued of or lent, like a big ball of lint right. that you got to roll. <laughs> you got to get rid of that lint somehow. Oh man. And if you, you went to the cat cafe, you got a lot of linting to do. Break out the roller, baby. <laughs> so did goat yoga, oh, whatever you that, have to do it, gain a lot of lint. Not sanitary. I don't know how they pass the health code. <laughs> they really shouldn't be allowed to sell anything out of all. <laughs> but yeah, like if you spread it out over time, then like those PRs, the diffs for the PRs may be more, less meaningful uh, to a reviewer for a longer period of time. Like if you're spreading it out over time versus like having a big bang, fixing all of the lint issues as a focused change to the code. So when the user or rather when a developer wants to introduce a linter, do you find like, how does that work? Have you guys had ever found the linter that you really like and then just follow it? Or do you, like, which one do you use? How does that work? I mean, it seems like usually there is one linter, one linting tool that the community has sort of coalesced around. I mean, I think there's some ecosystems where there's a little bit of contention. Yeah. Like in JavaScript land, it was like TSLint and then ESLint. And then... Yeah, yeah well, those are ports of it. And then... Because yeah, like Ruby has like RuboCop... RuboCop mm-hmm. is pretty big. I feel like in the Ruby community that RuboCop just won. Yeah. Like there's no like, one trying nobody, to challenge right. RuboCop at all. Yeah. There's like, there's a couple in, uh, in Python world, like Flake 8 and Pylint and a couple other ones. But thankfully, like, I think with Python, there's generally a good standard of Pep8 where people generally agree that that's, that's a sane default. So a lot of linters just start from that. Kind of like in the JavaScript world, there's like big companies like Airbnb that kind of publish their standards or yeah, Google Airbnb. publishes their standards. And it's like, okay, well, if it's good enough for Google, maybe it's a good enough place for you to, us to start the discussion off of. Yeah, although buy-in is so key. I mean, you they may be saying defaults for a starting point, but if people aren't going to follow it, then it's going to require modifications until they are willing to follow it. Right. I think what I've seen before is like, you know, an individual who's interested in adding the linter and doing all the heavy lifting uh, chooses a particular type or I'm going to use brand. I mean, I'm not actually sure like company linting style. And then from there, then they start to add modifications to it. Right. Like, I mean, we were joking around about the semicolon, but that's an easy example. Suppose I'm not 100% sure what company's styles use what, but let's say Google does not use the semicolon linting style and people really want semicolons in their code, then you can introduce that linter and then later on, you know, have an engineering meeting that talks about some of the standards that we wish to call out. One of the ways I've seen that done was creating an issue in the style guide. Like the organization had a style guide repo that discussed the style guide of the code that they want to write. And anytime that there was a particular issue in the linter, they would create a new issue in GitHub. And in the engineering meeting, people would read the list of issues and then have a discussion on how they want to update the linter to do that. And I think that is like fighting off, you know, having these little fights here and there about bringing the hammer down on what to actually enforce or lint versus what not to. 
But you can choose one of the big ones and then kind of work your way down to have your own personal linting style. Yeah, that's true. When do you guys like to run the linter on your code base? Pre-commit hooks. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> don't do I'm just kidding. I'm just trying to start another fight. No, but like, yeah, <laughs> come on, Bobby. Don't do that. <laughs> Here's the thing, pre-commit yeah. hooks do actually force people to run their linters. That's true. And I mean, you you never have a, a dirty commit in the repo and people are going to run it locally. I like just running it locally myself. Like I like running it and kind of like pulling that slot and seeing if I manage to write code that's considered perfect <laughs> by the standard that, of my peers. <laughs> the problem <laughs> feels with pre-commit hooks, I think, is that it discourages committing early and often because it's a pain every time you commit to go wait for the linter and then go fix all of the linting errors. Yeah, or ask Git to ignore the commit hooks. No, I um, I think in VS Code, I have it like run the linter on save so that I can immediately get the errors and then fix them. That's yeah. true. Yeah, or like, yeah, if you have your ID set up or your editor set up with the linting rules, uh, the linting configuration, then you can see it right as you're typing that's the shortest feedback loop that's possible the that's great for training your brain to to just do it correctly the first time but it is really distracting when you're just trying to get something out because it's constantly screaming at you to fix all these stupid little errors when what you really need your mental cycles for is solving the engineering problem at hand Mm. You should write perfect code for you. <laughs> <a> solution. <laughs> write or more perfect code. Get a tool like Prettier. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, that's extreme solution. Oh, yeah. Nuclear bomb. Let's talk about that. Are you, are you guys fans of Prettier? I never bother setting it up, honestly. But I think it's cool. I support it. Yeah, I I, I think it's useful. It makes me a, a little nervous. Like, I don't want the robots to take away my, away my jobs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to be the one who writes that semicolon. <laughs> but, like, I, I totally get it. Because, like, a tool like Prettier where it has one setting. You don't have any discussion about settings. Like, it just formats the code automatically every single time the same way. It, it makes sense. Like there's really little friction with it. Uh, you just got to get used to zany ways that it might like put your arguments around on the screen or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. I have like all for some reason, every single React Native project that I start, which I never complete ever, ever do. But the one thing I do add is prettier. And it's just great to see that my code gets formatted when I save. And I'm like, all right, I'm done with this. This is fine. And then <laughs> and then I never build that app again. Like I never look at it. But all my apps are prettier because I don't want to have to worry about it. And setting yeah. it up as early as possible, I don't... Future Mike doesn't have to have a 10,000 line PR about all these linter rules that I want to add. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. Future Mike won't have a job because prettier and the bots are going to take over, right? <laughs> the bots it's aren't like, writing the code. They're just fixing it for me. Yeah. Which that's, is how nice. they, that's how they start, man. And that's pretty soon, <laughs> pretty soon all your code base are belong to us. Yeah. yeah that's Before you know it, the I'll be homeless with the Starbucks <laughs> cup asking for money. <laughs> the robots took my job. They took my derbs. This is the natural conclusion of what we do, guys. All we do is destroy jobs. That's programming. Yeah. yeah that's and they'll fine, destroy man. our jobs. I'll just take a vacation. But I guess regardless of 
<laughs> when the winter dark regardless of when you're or how you, you're you're running the winter or if it's taking your job or not <laughs> you should definitely run it in ci right like yeah it should be part of your continuous integration pipeline you should not be able to merge your master if your code does not pass land Oh, I never, agree with that. I think that's never, pretty like because you want to make sure that everything that goes that's in master it's is of standard. Yeah, never let those semicolons into the code base. <laughs> no, come on, man. <laughs> come on. What do the semicolons do to you? <laughs> when I was a kid. Just got beat up by a lot of semicolons. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Another dark tone. Yeah, so I think we can all agree that linters are helpful to writing code and makes your lives easier as you write code. Although sooner or later the robots will take our jobs, and we're okay with that for now. <laughs> and the yeah, humans like, will be the lint that they remove from the <laughs> exactly. code base. Oh, gosh. Oh, from the yaki, Imagine yaki that code base. Imagine that, that uh, config. Oh gosh. Do we have any teaching learns? I have one. So I was looking up some uh, active record callbacks, and one of the things that I found was a callback called after initialize. And the after initialize callback simply calls the function that you want to run after initialize. It simply calls a function that you want to run after the object has been initialized. And what does that mean? It means when the object has been created or when the object is found in the database. So say you need to ensure that a particular field exists when you load that particular object, you can use the after initialize callback. And it was, I was like really excited, like, oh, I learned the thing in an active record and in Rails. This is awesome. So you can set like a default value that may not have been there initially in the database? Yeah, or? just to like one of the things that I, this could have definitely been the worst way possible to build this thing. But MongoDB doesn't have, you can't run migrations on MongoDB. Okay. So I had to figure out a way to add a default value to the object that I'm adding this value, this column in. So I you ended up using the after initialize. So like any user who ah. it has to do like any user who looks up this particular or loads this object will now have this function that will set the default value for that particular object, which is cool. And then when it's saved, then the record will have the, the yeah. Then default. when on save, it'll have that record because after initialize will set that value. Cool schema on read with after yeah. initialize. That's for all the folks out there who are using MongoDB. Take that one to the bank. It'll help you out if you can't run any migrations. I have a teacher learn as well, actually. What up? So I recently learned that you can, if you install VPC on a Docker container, you can use the screen share program that is built in natively to all Macs to connect to your Docker container. So you can actually like have a like a visual client. You can open a window as though it were as though it were running an operating system in visual mode. Wait, so Whoa. you can see the content inside your Docker container? You can see into your Docker container. It's you crazy. Oh my gosh. Or whatever. I only thought that <laughs> I, you could SSH and that's it. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I, oh, wow. I have only done this on a Docker container from Selenium. Okay. So there may, there may be something else that they've installed so that it can run browsers. That makes sense. That makes it a little more complicated. But just the, the idea that that was possible kind of blew my mind today. That's, oh, pretty, that's cool. pretty dope. And we out here learning. That's awesome. Follow us now on Twitter at Radio Free Rabbit so we can keep the conversation going. Like what you hear? Give us a five-star review and help developers just like you find their way into the rabbit hole. And never miss an episode. Subscribe now however you listen to your favorite podcast. 
On behalf of our producer extraordinaire, William Jeffries, and my amazing co-host, Dave Anderson, and me, your host, Michael Nunez, thanks for listening to The Rabbit Hole.